Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. We've got Jenner Zeno back on again. Say hi, Jenner. Hello, hello. Jenner is one of our recurring guest stars. Uh, he calls himself the squishy gay liberal, but um, in the uh, colloquial American sense. So he's he's an independent, but he mostly has voted Democrat. Uh, so in the in the spirit of moving forward, um, all of the guest stars are a little bit or sig- somewhere between a little bit to significantly to my left. I think Jenner might be more a little bit. I, I would say you're 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 kind of centrist, aren't you, Jenner? I'm kind of a radical centrist. Yeah, I don't <laughs> the whole left right paradigm i don't i don't find any anywhere i'm kind of politically homeless as far as that that meter is concerned i'm just happy to stand alone <laughs> yeah cool very cool very cool uh yeah no and i i definitely consider myself um somewhere between center right and far right i do not consider far right a sentiment sentiment for alt right but people who have listened to this podcast before know all that uh, and and uh, center right is kind of where I'm, the ground where I'm comfortable compromising, um, and maybe even a little bit over into the center center left on on a few select issues. Um, but those are all compromises for me. Um, the last episode that Jenner was on was number one thirty three, recorded back in August, called "Preserving Liberalism," and I believe that was the very first podcast I did after the breakup, the big epic knockdown breakup between me and uh, my former co-host Corey, who um, remains one of the recurring guest stars. So go check that out. Jenner helped me process the breakup at that time. And today he's going to help me process my feelings about America and UBI right now. Because, you know, 72 million people just voted for re-electing Donald Trump. And a lot of people didn't vote at all. And it's really hard not to judge people for that. And my sense of um, generosity toward those people is in decline. <laughs> that said, that said, I'm glad uh, I'm glad that that Biden won, at least. Thank goodness. Even though Trump is now. Did you see this, Jenner? He was um, actually calling for like a like a coup, like for actually like military rule and, and crazy shit and, and like a new election. Like it's gone. It's gone. Absolutely full on totalitarian totalitarian in Trump land. I mean, nobody's taking it seriously because he can't do it. Boy, yeah. But the fact that the president and people immediately around the president are talking like that is unprecedented. I mean, we haven't had this kind of constitutional crisis since the actual Civil War. I mean, I'm I'm kind of cool with it. Uh, I'm anytime Donald Trump does something crazy throughout throughout his throughout this term. Anytime he does something just way out there and just like beyond the pale, I'm like, good, please, please do more of that. Do more crazy shit. Uh, dig the hole just a little bit deeper, <laughs> just a little bit deeper for yourself. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Let him make an ass of himself and, you know, a joke of his administration. Well, it's been a joke the whole time, but um, if he wants to keep piling it on, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, um, we're not worried about about him winning an election right now. It seems to be hurting the Republicans' chances in in Georgia because you know uh, Trump's own own lawyers, <laughs> who, who were recently fired for being too crazy even for Donald Trump, are now going on Fox News and saying. So I guess ex lawyers are, but these are people who were who were fighting his court cases to try to steal the election, right? And now they're going on Fox News and telling voters 
Republican voters to not vote in Georgia. They're, <laughs> they're saying that they should not vote in the Georgia runoff because it's, you know, it's rigged, it's Dominion voting machines and all of that stuff anyway. Um, so that's amusing. If they could per- persuade just two or three percent of them to not vote, um, then, you know, they, they, they could actually be handing the Senate to the Democrats. Um, and it would be entirely Trump's fault because it would be a consequence of him lying to his own base. You know, like he's he's got the uh, leopard um, e- e- leopards eating your face party. And, and now the leopards are turning on their own. Yeah, that was this was uh, something else with the mail in voting where he had he had successfully <laughs> convinced like a huge portion of in such and such state. To be clear, people who voted for him in the primary uh, to not vote by mail, and then they didn't vote in person either. So he just like, okay, yeah, yeah, and and that's really that's really thrown off the exit polls, which is why I'm still waiting for more data to come in. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Nate Silver does with it all. But like, ordinarily, exit polls are a far better um, like example of the overall voting population. Um, but because there was this huge partisan divide where the vast majority of people who are Democrats voted for, um, by mail and the vast majority of people who are Republicans voted in person, the exit polls are hugely slanted. And so it, it's, it'll be interesting to see how how much that this talk about Trump doing well, uh, you know, better among people of color um, and so forth is true. Um, I mean, I, I think that there is some truth to it, but it's there's a there's a lot of data um, to cull through there. And we may never know because, of course, you can't do an exit poll on people who who voted by mail, which is how most Biden voters actually voted. Mm. All right. Uh, so for moving forward today, we're going to talk about the topic is the culture of resentment. And I, I talked with Jenner a little bit off air before this, so I know he is. Um, knows where I'm coming from. I know where he's coming from. I think we largely agree about this, but basically for me, I've been trying to come to a better understanding of what the hell is going on. Right. <laughs> but like, what the hell is going on? Right. Cause we've got, we've got the rise of, um, far left socialist slash communist movement. And we've got this like alt-right Nazi slash fascist movement two things that couldn't be more anathema to basic American values and not just American values, but just good values, like moral values. Um, Where is it coming from? And, you know, I've talked endlessly in previous episodes about how the alt-right and the far left are both economic populist movements, um, which means that they both have left-wing economic policies to one degree or another, although obviously the alt-right is not as far left as the far left. Um, but what it seems to me that doesn't really answer the question. And Andrew Yang tried to answer the question. He, in his book, the war on normal people. And I think that, how do I put this? I think his answer is both right and wrong. You know what I mean by that? Jenner? Did you read that book? I listened to the audio book. Uh, oh yeah. I think he read it himself. Didn't he? Uh, yeah. And this, this was way, way, way back. Um, so I'd, I'd have to take a refresher. Oh yeah. No, I mean like basically this, the general thesis, right. was just Mm. that like, um, that our society is super meritocratic and that the people at the top are doing really well. The people at the bottom are getting left behind and dare I say feeling resentful about it. (laughs) Right. 
But he didn't use that word. He didn't use that word. He talked about how like we needed to de-radicalize people with a universal basic income, right? Was the, the real premise of it. And and this is the area where I say I think he might be a little wrong. And the reason I think he might be a little wrong is because while he got the um the economic story right, I think that he's giving regular people too much benefit of the doubt and too much credit when it comes to their character. Um, I think that if people have a sense of resentment toward their fellow Americans, and and this is something that the far left and the alt-right really do have in common, we're getting to the, the core of what Jenner calls the outrage machine. Um, and I think it's resentment. I think it's resentment toward elites in both cases, right? I think it's also resentment toward people in other countries, resentment toward people who are immigrating and taking their jobs, resentment toward people that their jobs are being outsourced to, and resentment toward the people who are letting people immigrate, who are outsourcing the jobs. Um, It's resentment. And to me, once I realized that that we're dealing with this toxic emotion of resentment, you know, like uh, psychiatrists, if you, you know, a husband and wife go in to try to save their marriage, psychiatrists will say, if you just, if you're just mad at each other, you can probably work that out, right? But once you get to the point where you start resenting each other, it is it is probably too late to save that relationship. It's just gone too far. It's too toxic. Resentment is a very, very dark emotion. And the f- we have a culture of resentment right now, on the extremes at least. And that is not something that we can solve by just giving people more money or more health care. I think that the economic argument that Yang made is right. But the reason that I say that I support a UBI as a compromise rather than being like an enthusiastic advocate of it is for this reason. It's because I don't actually believe that doing that is going to solve that problem. In fact, I think it might make it worse. Yeah. What do you think, Jenner? Well, I, I, I tend to agree that like it's yes, it's, it's UBI, I think, is a step in the right direction towards solving some of the biggest challenges that we face as a nation, but um, it's by no means a panacea. It was never intended to be. And I I think that there's an important pin to put here in, in the question of, you know, uh, de-radicalization. It wasn't actually the UBI platform that did that because Andrew Yang did de-radicalize like millions of people and he did it with humanity first this was this was a new way of thinking about other human beings uh, as being other human beings and this is this is more of a philosophy than an economic policy ubi it was obviously at the top of his policy platform but really i think the thing that made him succeed was or as well as far as he got anyway as much as he could have succeeded is the humanity first ethos because it really is more of a way of life it's more of a philosophy as opposed to you know a campaign slogan hey we want to give you money because you're a human it's kind of it's just a different way of thinking um bringing some humanity back into politics so i i think that's really the thing that did work for him 
is the, the philosophical angle. It did work to de-radicalize millions of people. The problem is that they were immediately re-radicalized again after he dropped out. And if you are in the Yang gang, you watched this happen. It used to be one big happy family. We all love each other. It's okay if you believe something different from me. We're, we all, you know, everybody deserves a roof over their head and food in their stomachs and um, and very, very quickly after Andrew dropped out, it quickly was like, oh, are you with me? Well, I'm going back to Trump. Well, fuck you for going back to Trump. How dare you? He's a fucking monster. And it was like it kind of infuriating to me because they these people, I think, largely missed the point um, of why Andrew was running <laughs> Uh, and what he was actually running on and made it more a personality contest. And th this is one of the things that I think is most frustrating because there's still people out there that are trying to make this whole thing about Andrew Yang. And I'm like, well, no, the, the, the humanity first thing is, is not his, it's ours. It's all of ours. Um, you know, as as Uncle Fred would say, there is no them. It's just us. There's just a one big us with a capital U, capital A. And I think that is really where the most gold is to be dug from the ground, as it were, um, is on the philosophical and the ethical. And um, along those lines, as opposed to anything policy-wise, economic-wise, I think the humanity first thing was really the the key there and needs to be a part of any successful political movement that is going to heal the divides um, that exist in this country. You can't just say, oh, you know, we're going to give you a bunch of money. <laughs> we have to we have to heal families. We have to heal neighborhoods and get people to stop demonizing each other like it's the fucking dark ages. Uh, and Trump it was just the perfect catalyst for that, for getting people to dehumanize themselves and dehumanize others um, very easily, shockingly easily, um, in a way that does kind of remind you of some of the darkest parts of our history. Um, like, how can, how can you even think about another human being like that? So that, that's, I guess, kind of where, where I land on all that I know I talked for quite a minute there. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You gave me a you gave me a lot of stuff, a lot of more stuff for us to riff on. Um mm. I've started referring to Trump as the patron saint of losers. Mm. <laughs> and you know, I mean, are you are you familiar with that tradition in, in Catholicism? Uh the the sainthood. Yeah, the patron I, saint yeah, is yeah. like it's the right, right? So the, the patron saint is is somebody who is a saint for a specific kind of sinner, right? Mm -hmm. Because they have suffered um, um, through that sin themselves, and you can pray to that saint to absolve you of, of said sin. Um, you know, Trump Trump is the patron saint of losers because he absolves people of the sin of being losers. <laughs> and, and and he does this. Yeah. He does this by, you know, basically putting himself on the on the cross um of loser dumb i mean he is the he is the biggest loser in in history I, <laughs> I, he he um he he just he he just lost that that election right but he will never admit he lost it what he's going to say and what he is saying is that it was stolen from him right there's no evidence for it it was stolen from him and so what's that doing is it's about absolving himself 
of the personal responsibility of the loss, right? Mm -hmm. And Trumpism is all about absolving his voters of personal responsibility for their own lives, for their own lot in life. And this, this is bringing us back to that culture of resentment. But if you can convince people that all of your problems are somebody else's fault, well, then you don't have any responsibility, do you? Right? He's the patron saint of losers. And when I say he's the biggest loser in history, it's because think about it. Like in order to be the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, as they say, right? In order to be this epic level of a loser, you first have to win one election, which you did barely, <laughs> right? Very, 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 very barely. And then, then become the only president in history whose pop, um, popularity rating never went above 50%, whose approval rating never went above 50%. And the, all of these things combined. And so he's the only president who's done all of these. He's made all of these accomplishments, these loser dumb accomplishments, right? Popularity never went above 50%. He was impeached, <laughs> right? He was a one-term president, right? And he never won the popular vote. I mean, there's just so many that like, I mean, are we done? Are, are, are we, are we tired of winning yet? <laughs> yeah. It was just like, the, this is every time I saw this, uh, it, I loved how on most of the signs and bumper stickers and things for Trump 2020, um, they're still using make America great again. And I, I was like, Oh no, wait, uh, Trump's been in charge for four years. Isn't it already great? Did it, or, or did he not do that? You're, I'm, I'm confused now. Uh, are, are we great enough yet? Oh, we're gonna get. Oh, 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 okay. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get greater. Yeah, half the signs were MAGA, and half the signs were CAG. Right? Like, are we making keeping, it great again, America or are we great. keeping it great? What should we do, guys? Uh, wh what what, we doing? Where's the great? I I keep looking for the great. What got better under Trump? You um, know what I think? I think we were always fucking great. I you know, like I think we were always fucking great. And this gets to the point of that this is this is also related to the resentment aspect. And yeah. you know, we're talking about the resentment on the alt right right now. But believe me, we're going to get to resentment on the far left too. <laughs> oh, you know that's <laughs> We're equal that's, opportunity <laughs> we're equal opportunity here on this yeah, postpartisan podcast. That's where I like to focus is the left and you know. I I know I know you do. And and it's because you take it more personally because that's kind of kind well, of where you're at. And, I think that's part of the reason why I take it so personally that the right has been taken over by all these leaders. It seems more morally reprehensible that it, it comes from people touting liberalism. Um and I, I just want to rewind for well, they, they they claim to be some yes, of them. Yes. But like a lot of them don't even pretend. A lot of them are just as outright anti-liberal as any Trump voter is. Yeah. I I I I had this image when you're talking about, you know, the patron patron saint of losers for Donald Trump. And it's like, well, of course he's never gonna admit. Oh my god, dude, let's make that t shirt. Let's fundraise. Just a picture of Trump and it says patron saint of losers. Uh dude. <laughs> Yeah, but, it needs. It should be like in like a Catholic iconography style. <laughs> I I've been thinking like what what is and then the back of the t shirt could just say all those things like approval rating never went over fifty percent was impeached was a one term president just a long <laughs> never won the popular vote <laughs> right just list that. his failures <laughs> uh daddy never loved me oh god uh stupid. <sighs> What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Because uh, we would like to all think that he's going to disappear and vanish into obscurity. But whether he likes he says it he's going to run again in 2024. Oh, if he's. If, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> either way, the cult of Trump, which it really is probably 
what I'm thinking is going to happen. It's going to become the Trump, the church of Trump. I would not be surprised if he went mega preacher, if that's where he went. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, he's going to try to get on Fox. He's going to get it, try to get his own reality TV network. He's going to do something. Oh yeah. He's going to do his, he's going to do it for as long as possible. I think. Yeah. He he's going to do Trump TV him. or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what this was always about all along. Oh, yeah. It's about it's about using politics as a reality show for his own personal brand and so that he can make money. That's it. Right. He doesn't give a fuck about America or American democracy or anything like that. Yeah. People um, forget and, he didn't even want to be president. He was just running to increase. No, in fact, and if he had lost last time, if he had lost last time, he would have done the same thing he did this time. He would have said, oh, it was stolen, blah, blah, blah. Right. And and some significant percentage of people who voted for him would have believed it back then. Right. No, it's important to note it would have been the same election, the same election that he won. <laughs> I mean, the one he won, he still said it was rigged anyway. You know? yeah, and, and people still and in the Republican primary, every time he lost a state in the Republican primary, he tweeted out that that that, that state's election was rigged. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is just what the guy does when he loses. He says it was rigged. That's just what he does. Even when he so wins. that's what he was. That's even what he was planning to do all along. His plan was to lose and then and then do this and then use it to to fundraise off the rubes. Mm. I saw he's raised over two hundred million dollars since losing the election. Uh, that's that's scary this is why this is why i'm thinking he's gonna go mega preacher this is like <laughs> it's like literally just start the church of trump because like jesus it, wants me to have yes, more private jets jesus wants me to have a bigger house and a nicer jet because there are like literally a shocking shocking numbers of millions of people who who will reliably eat that shit up for breakfast every Sunday and throw money at him. And I mean, in I a mean, way, it's almost a good him. service. I mean, you know, like he's he's doing a service for society. He's 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 making morons part ways with their money. Like, you know, that's OK. I'm all right with that. Yeah. You know? He's, he's going to lose Do, it anyway. I want <laughs> I want morons to have as few resources as possible. <laughs> Take, just take, go ahead and take it. I'm fine with that part. It's just the it's the bull in the china shop of democracy part that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I mean, it's not technically over yet, but I think we should all of us. America, excuse the verb. Um, take a minute to appreciate how little damage he actually was able to do. Um, because it could have been just unimaginably worse. He could have, it, it was because of the cowards in Congress and that pesky little constitution that he wasn't even able to do most of the things he wanted to do. But imagine, and, and that, that speaks to the strength of our democracy. Imagine if he had been able to accomplish every single thing he wanted to accomplish, we would be living at the, well, presumably not living uh, at the bottom of a fucking crater, you know, nuclear wasteland if he got his way. So I think we should all kind of send him off with a nice little, okay, bye-bye now. Uh, take care now. Bye-bye then. Um, and really just be grateful as fuck for our democracy that it was strong enough to prevent the worst catastrophes of what that fucker wanted to do. Because um could have been a lot worse. <laughs> I mean, people were warning about it. We knew it was going to get at least this bad. Um, and we were accused of Trump derangement syndrome when it was going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 quite 
it's quite telling to just go back and see what Trump supporters were saying like a year ago or two years ago, right? If you say something, as I've been saying all along through this whole process, if you say something like Trump is going to try to declare martial law and he's going to try to steal the election, right? <laughs> right? You say something like that, um, but, you know, a year ago. Um, the most hardcore Trump supporter would say, oh, come on, he's not going to do that. That's that that's ridiculous. Like, you've got TDS. There's no way he's going to do that. Right. And then he fucking does it. You know, like <laughs> just see, like every every line that they say he will never cross. He just he just saunters right over that fucking line. And if the only thing preventing him from turning us into a total full on totalitarian dictatorship is elites in our society standing up against him, which he calls the deep state. You know, that's the funny thing. Like the deep state is a term that, that came out of the, um, the CIA doing research on, on foreign countries. Right. So it's like, it's like, you know, countries like Russia have a deep state, which means like a kleptocracy of a bunch of crooked oligarchs, right. Who are secretly controlling everything behind the scenes um, of a banana republic. That's a deep state. That's what the term actually originally meant. And Trump's turned it around to just mean normal people, patriots, doing their jobs to protect the Constitution from yeah. allowing our society to be turned into a banana republic. Yeah, right? kind of like he's, ironically. He's completely, and, and by the way, this is a, this is a common theme. That's coming out of our culture of resentment in general. And we'll get into this, this, this thing manifests on the far left as well. But this common theme is taking a term and making it mean it's opposite. I keep yeah. seeing people on the alt-right and the far left keep doing that. And there are other examples of it on the alt-right. This is it right now. You're taking the term deep state and you're using it to mean just a normal functioning liberal democracy with constant, with a, with, with a constitution, Right. And, and that is I, that is the opposite of what the fucking word means. Yes, Trump wants to turn it into the deep state. That's exactly right? where when it was talk going. About draining the swamp. What they actually mean is they want to they get want, anybody who disagrees with dear leader out of out of power. They want a new swamp. They want their own. They want. Swamp. To, they want. They want. They want, want, their want, their act, they want a swamp. They yeah. want a fucking swamp. It's it's a, like just take whatever they say and then assume it's the opposite, and you pretty much understand the movement. Yes. Precisely. The, the, what, what Trump calls the deep state is really just the pillars of the pillars of democracy preventing him from starting his own deep state, which was what he wanted to do. He wanted to, you know, control everything from, from behind the scenes, big money deals. And, and, and don't get me wrong. There's, there's lots of corruption in Washington. Let's like be very clear about that, but it wasn't as susceptible, uh, as I think he had, wanted it to be you know because ideally he wanted to be the next putin he wanted to be president for life well yeah know? exactly like some people go in they see corruption and they try to actually get rid of the corruption what somebody like trump does is they go in they see the kind of low-level corruption that happens in every free society right like unless i mean frankly the, the truth truth be told utopianism is another thing that these that these different cultures of resentments have have in common Mm. Right. Because it's because it, the idea is that um, we don't have a utopia. It's not perfect. And then we need to make it a utopia. Right. Or, well, since it's not perfect, we might as well blow it all up. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, so 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 you, you said something that I thought was really amusing, Jenner. You said MAGA or, or CAG. Like, which one is it? Are we making yeah. America great again or are we or keeping it great? great? Is right? it great? So I here's it what great. I want. 
here's, here's what I want our listeners to do. Take that M in the word MAGA, okay? Now turn it upside down, okay? That, so it's a W now. It says WAGA, okay? <laughs> now I want you to rearrange those letters a little bit. So instead of W-A-G-A, it's A-W-A-G. So we go from WAGA to a WAG, all right? A WAG, a WAG. It means America was always great. America was always fucking great. Trump's declinism, his his sense that America had lost its greatness, was anti-patriotic fucking declinist bullshit through and through from the beginning. It's a deeply anti-American, sad, pathetic movement of losers. It's what it is. Yeah. I definitely I definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, there's the conversation around American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism, excuse me, um, I think is an important one because, you know, there has always been this kind of we're the greatest country in the world. We walked on the moon and in, in many things we are uh, leading the world. Um, that phrase has gotten a little bit stale because the rest of the world is developing. We now have very serious competitors on the global stage um, and foreign Foreign affairs is not something I like to get into a whole lot, but like America was always great is I think the the right answer there. That is the most clearly American, clearly patriotic um, thing that is not, you know, nationalist in 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 the way that this make America great again kind of got meat uns fossil fuel. Uh, you know, kind of, it's a, it's a different approach. I think it's a, it's important to say that like, yeah, America has had one of the, uh, craziest, darkest, fucked up histories, but like, okay, look at the rest of the world. <laughs> this is the land of opportunity. This is the new world. It represents something on earth that was a first of people coming from all over. Uh, very different people all living and working together and creating this country that is like the melting pot of humanity. Um, so there is something really, really special about America. And that is what makes it great, I think, is our our strength in diversity. The fact that in some sense, we almost don't really have our own culture. Our culture is just an amalgamation of all these other cultures and things from around the world. And that's beautiful. Um, you know, obviously the, the place is nice in terms of like this part of earth, you know, the, the purple mountains and the plains and all that. It's, uh, but yeah, I think that's obviously the right answer. If, if you were running on the platform of, of America's dog shit, which kind of Hillary did the same thing too. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't agree with that actually. I think, <laughs> not as, not I think as that, much, but I mean, I think that, I think that on the far left, you have people who hate America more than anybody, right? Cause like on the alt right people, they at least think they love America. They think they're patriotic, right? Yeah. Um, they're just not. Whereas on the far left, they 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 are fully conscious of how much they hate America. <laughs> um, but you know, Hillary Clinton was like a, a center right, um, you know, third way corporate Democrat. 
I don't I don't think she's she's a, a, a hate America. She she's a hawk, you know. She wants America to lead the the world. She wants to intervene on behalf of America's interests and spread our American values around the world. I mean, what like I understand people disagree with that, but I don't think Clinton is a, a person who hates America. Trump fucking hates America. I mean, look at the way he talks about it. He talks about, you know, both parties are shit. The establishment of both parties are shit. Everybody sucks except for me. The White House is a shithole. <laughs> yeah, he... Be, this, is, this is a fucking... Uh, that, I think, has got to be carved in stone somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we so, had an American American president called the White House a shithole. Yeah, <laughs> he's dumb. a piece of... I mean, he is such an anti-patriotic, like, it's just, I can't even, he is, he is expressing the pathetic resentment of the losers. That is what he's doing, right? So it is a culture of, of resentment. That is what we are dealing with here. We're dealing with people who blame other people for their problems. Now, I wanted to, to riff on just a second on the um, American exception, exceptionalism thing, Jenner. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously... The kind of naive idea that America's perfect, America's never done anything wrong, and that, you know, we we are somehow totally different from every other country in the world, not giving other countries credit for the fact that they've made their own liberal democracies. And, and because they had a chance to learn from, from us, we were the first modern democracy. They had a chance to learn from us. They could learn from our mistakes, right? And they made different mistakes, too, right? There is no perfect system out there, right? There is no utopia. Um but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not preaching American exceptionalism here. I'm just saying like America isn't all bad and people are taking stuff for granted. That's, that's, that's the relationship I see between resentment and entitlement. When people start feeling entitled to things, they take it for granted. And then that breeds resentment. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the reason I like to touch on American exceptionalism is because it, it it perfectly points out how wrong both answers are. If you think America's just like this perfect, pristine, wonderful, we're the shining beacon of the world, that's kind of wrong. But it, equally, and you see this more on the left and the more, I, I don't know, I haven't read Chomsky, but I, I know how he feels about America on the global stages being that you know the big bad imperialist you know war crime genocide in 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 our conquest of the world and all all the you know atrocities that we've committed in war and this and that so it's there seems to be two ideas on the table either america is the best thing ever or it's the worst thing ever and both of those are clearly wrong you know I mean, and also, frankly, you don't even have to be perfect to be like a shining beacon, right? A shining beacon doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be shiny, <laughs> you know, and 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 there 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 have been times throughout history where the world did unironically see us as a shining beacon. I mean, our role in um, helping to create the post-World War II order that led to the longest period of peace and prosperity ever in the history of the West like that is not something to scoff at, right? That is exceptional, right? It's not, you know, there are other things about other countries that are also exceptional, but we really led the way on that because we were in the right place at the right time. We had the right values. We had the right leaders and we had the resources, right? And we were positioned, you know, geopolitically such that we could do that. And we did the right thing. 
But you know, a little a little while ago, you said something about like this is this is reminds us of some of our darkest moments in history. Well, yeah, absolutely. America first was literally a slogan used by Nazi sympathizers leading up to and during World War II. America first was the slogan of the people who wanted us to let the Nazis get away with taking over Western Europe. And what kind of fucked up history would we be living in now if in, if in addition to the Soviet Union, we were dealing with, you know, Nazi Europe as uh, our geopolitical foe, right? But they thought, oh, you know, as the America first people say now, well, we don't really have a, um, we don't have a stake in that game, right? We should just put our heads in the sand and ignore the rest of the world and let these dictators, you know, murder millions of innocent people. We have no role to play in that. And they think that that makes them, that gives them the moral high ground. This is something else, by the way, that the culture of resentment does. This is something else that the alt-right and the far left have in common. They both think that they have the moral high ground and they do not. Neither one does. Yeah. They don't. They are deeply immoral. Their worldview couldn't be more immoral. If you think that like sitting back and allowing, you know, what's that saying? Um, All it takes for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing, right? Well, this is the do nothing people. The far left and the alt right both want America to sit back and do nothing while, while the world goes to shit. I don't think that's moral. I think that's fucked up. Yeah, that seems like another place there to flag the Catholic Church, but I don't want to rag on religion too much, but it does have that kind of same, you know, can do no wrong, you know, as they shuffle pedophiles around the planet uh, to prevent, you know, being prosecuted. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I see the connection well, there exactly. In terms of the, like, all high and mighty moral righteousness like oh you know, yeah yeah we're, yeah no. people exactly yeah. people who think they have the dogmatic yes. like they 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 that they they have a monopoly on morality yes. are usually the most immoral people there are uh yeah catholic church is a perfect example and yeah, i mean okay. in, now an, I see, in an now I see organized the way yeah um not i'm not talking about catholics as people in general because i imagine the vast majority of them are not like totally cool with priests raping kids and that's not a conversation they want to have for obvious reasons but top down from like the vatican down that's very much they kind of are okay with it and actively like uh enable it you, um, you know like jenner what what so i'm gonna ask you a question um <laughs> pop quiz mm. what makes america america This is actually no, not we, as hard as no, this no, is not as hard as you think. Are you talking about the United States of America? Are you talking about like the con? Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, the, do you oh, mean geographically? Yes. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I'm being what a bad globalist America. right now. Absolutely. America. Yes. What makes the United States? What makes the USA USA? Giant, I think you're overthinking uh, it. It's not that uh, hard. Uh, you know well, what it is? Giant. It's our fucking, it's a set of values, dude. It's what, yeah. it's the Declaration of Independence. It's the Constitution, right? It's this, it's like all all men by which they they would have meant if they were better people, all people are created equal, right? That's what it is. It's, it's, this, it's this idea that it is, that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's the idea that we have constitutional freedoms like freedom of speech and so forth that cannot be infringed on by the government or by a majority, right? Right. It's that's what makes us that's what makes us a country. And that's true about every other country, too. What makes the USA the USA is a set of values that founded the country. 
right? And I'm the this culture of resentment is corroding those values. It is literally, quite literally, destroying the country. Because what makes the country the country is those very values that the alt-right and the far left are destroying. I mean, this is the we are America is not blood and soil. That's what that's what the alt-right and the far left want us to think. What makes America America is the land, right? And the people. No, it's a set of values. People who share American values, they are part of the fabric of what makes us a great country. The people who don't are a problem. Yeah, I, I, that's worth a ding. I was going to condense that down to middle finger of freedom. Uh, <laughs> I want that to be a t-shirt too. I, I'm not sure I understand it though. I just imagining a big middle finger and it says freedom or something. Well, like yeah. I mean, that's if American values had to be, I can't, I, I think like condensed down to, or, or, or what's that? Fuck it. It's lost a train of thought, but it, it really does kind of boil down to that. It's, it is no, these are what our values are. And this is what we were fucking founded on. And that shit doesn't fly here. You know, there's, there's a reason why we're not a fucking theocracy. And it's because we, yeah. we were founded to be explicitly not one. That's literally why we yeah. founded this country. Well, and, and I think it's important <laughs> to point out once again, this is this is not crazy conspiracy talk. We're talking about a real cultural phenomenon that is manifesting itself in the exact way that we're describing here, right? Because on the alt-right, you have people who are explicitly saying that they want to suspend the Constitution right now because they think that the election was rigged or despite evidence, and and really what that means is it's like a religious belief system, right? There was an emotional appeal to believing that it was rigged regardless of evidence, and so they're going to believe in it. It's a religious dogma. It's a religious conviction. And, and, and so really what it comes down to is not any kind of sense that they want to preserve or protect democracy. It's that they are willing to destroy democracy, to over, overturn democracy, to suspend the fucking constitution in order to get their way. It's anti-democratic, right? And then also at the same time on the far left, you have people who are explicitly calling for tearing up the constitution and starting yeah. over again, not just amending it, burning the damn thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, burning the books, getting it's rid not of... even a horseshoe anymore. It's a fucking mirror. Oh. Hmm. It's been a while since I played around in this domain. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I have existed almost entirely in fantasy land for like the last couple months. So that must you know, be nice. It, that must it, feel great. It's brilliant. I piece the fuck out of Facebook. I don't go there anymore. I haven't been paying attention to politics at all because I feel like every time I pay attention to any of it it's a slowly growing brain cancer um but you know it is important to talk about this shit especially from i guess i mean that's might be where i'm valuable now is kind of like a a, an outsider just kind of like from the, the martian perspective if you will like well i'm not really participating in this but isn't that interesting what those humans are doing down there (laughs) Uh, yeah, it derailed. <laughs> totally derailed. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't just want this to be like a bitching podcast. It's more like, mm. it's like, you know, sometimes you need to vent, right? Yes. Sometimes you just need to vent. 
And, and it is actually helpful. If we want to solve this problem, we need to understand what's actually going on. And I think that there is a certain level of moral outrage that is justified and that people, you know, when, when I talked about entitlement, breeding resentment, one of the things people are taking for granted are these values themselves, freedom and liberty and, 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 and the constitutional protections that make it possible. Right. And we need people to be outraged by that and to stand up for those values. Liberalism, classic liberalism, which is what the, the word for the values that our country was founded on, that needs an active defender, right? If we allow the alt-right to maintain control of the GOP, and simultaneously let the far left take over the Democratic Party, there will be nobody left to defend America against both of those enemies. Like we need to, we need, we should be outraged and we should be actively standing up for these values. And I think in order to do that, we need to see the forest for the trees. We need to see what's really going on. We need to understand what's actually motivating these movements, right? And then we can get to the, you know, I want to get to the interesting conversation about what role UBI can or can't play in that and and why I support it as a compromise as opposed to enthusiastically endorsing it. Um, okay, so um, Jenner, <laughs> taking yes. it back to something. We, we, remember, we were talking about backwards, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll move on to the far left again. I, I, I promise we're coming there. Um, but like, okay, so make America great again, right? We already determined America was always great. So what? So if make America great again doesn't mean make America great again, what does it mean? Well, it's obviously the opposite because these movements always redefine things to mean they're opposites, just like we talked about with the deep state. I'll tell you what it means. It means make America not great. That's what it means. Make America great again means make America not great. Everything that Donald Trump has actually done, that he succeeded at doing, Success. has weakened us, has made it so that we are less less rich, less influential, less safe, less powerful. He's making us not great. He's taking a country that was always great and making us less great with the goal of making us not great. MAGA means make America not great. Mang. <laughs> Mank. <laughs> uh, God, I mean, yeah, just like burning his bridges with as many of our allies as he can find, cozying up to as many of our, um, if we, you want to call them our enemies, uh, other, you know, fascist dictators around the world, cozying up to them and burning their bridges with our allies. And so that is arguably... <laughs> Uh, making making us a just and absolute joke in like the global stage. Yeah, not just a joke, but like stage, deeply, deeply, deeply like, weak. You know, he created yeah. a power vacuum that's going to be filled by China. That's what he did. He's yeah. supposedly the guy who's being tough on China. No way. China. No way. No, like no by no stretch of the imagination. And 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 what, what, what went on in North Korea? I mean, like North Korea now has is closer to having nuclear weapons that are capable of reaching the U.S. than they've ever been. You know, and thank God Biden is coming in. Maybe hopefully it's not too late for him to fix that. Hopefully it's not too late for him to fix the situation in Iran, Iran that, that that Trump's enabled, where they're also getting closer to having like just just having permission to just flat out build nuclear weapons now. I mean, like, I think it's probably too late. I think Iran is now going to be a serious nuclear threat. Like at some point it's a bridge too far and you can't fix it. It's it's done, you know. Um, this is seriously messed up stuff. He's not cozying up to dictators. What he's doing is he's 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 making our enemies stronger and he's making us weaker. Because you don't you that's the that's the truth, right? You can't make an ally 
out of a dictator. Not really. Not really. Because in the end, they're always going to go with what's in the interest of their country. That's the reason why NATO was such a powerful thing that kept the peace for so long. Because the way to get people to truly be allies is they're supposed to collaborate with each other. When every country is out for itself only, that weakens everybody. It makes it's, it, 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 is, it is a very dangerous thing, and it will lead to World War III. And once again, backwards, totally backwards. Both the far left and the alt-right are the ones. They were going around saying, Hillary Clinton's going to start World War III. Well, Trump has this closer to World War III than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a brilliant observation there. Brilliant point. So another backwards one, right? America mm-hmm. first? What does it actually mean? America lasts. <laughs> it means America fucking lasts, man. That's exactly what it means. Before he came in, we were first. How could you couldn't be any more first than being America? We were in charge. We were the we were on top of the global order, right? Right? I mean, and and now now we've just kind of we've we've, we've retreated from the stage completely, right? It's hopefully that's not irreparable, but that is making us that is take like I don't understand this with thinking like I'm trying to. That's what we're doing. We're trying to process this. But when you have a sense of resentment, right, collaboration isn't possible. When you when you resent Europe, right, for not paying its share or whatever. First of all, I actually agree with that point. I think that we should force them to step up and, and, and contribute more to their own defense. Absolutely. But but that's not actually what Trump was trying to do. Or maybe he was trying, but he's just right. too stupid to More do it right. Like, the whole there are thing. ways of doing that. And of course, everybody, including, you know, Bush, Obama, Clinton, everybody wanted that. Right. But, you know, this is something else that the that the, the populist alt right and far left have in common. They all have these overly simplistic solutions to really complex problems. And they think that, oh, if only we could just put a normal, you know, a normal person in there with common sense, they'll be able to fix all these problems that all the smartest people of multiple generations haven't been able to fix yet. No, they will not. They will make the situation worse because they are they're stupid enough to think that the answers are easy. Yes. Uh, I love that. I love that. Um shit. So Jenner, I want you to um you, you said something a little bit ago about how Yang kind of had de-radicalized some people, but then they've been re-radicalized. Could you elaborate on that a little more? What did you mean by that? Um just something that I noticed in within the humanity first movement and many of the, you know, many of the friendships that I, that I personally made through there, um, the humanity first movement itself, not just, you know, people who were campaigning for Yang, but the, the actual kind of real movement there, the thing that really touched people and got people excited and pumped, um, was building friendships with, people from across the fucking aisle, you know, in some sense, it was like, it did, it doesn't matter. This was the first kind of anything approaching a political movement that in a long time that was unifying in a way that allowed people to say, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter who you voted for last time. You know, Andrew Yang showed incredible compassion towards, towards Trump supporters, former and active people who still like Donald Trump and were supporting Andrew Yang throughout his campaign. I think it came down to compassion and empathy, which is exactly how you heal things like resentment. You heal them with compassion and empathy. And that that's, 
I think what is missing in American culture is empathy towards our fellow Americans and just towards fellow human beings. Um, we started to get a taste of what that could be like um, in the Yang gang, because the Yang gang as a loose agglomeration of completely unrelated people from all over the political spectrum coming together under this idea that like, no, actually humanity should be first. Um, that should be uh, the number one thing on our list of concerns. Um, and there was a deep kind of depression in the Yang gang that I saw anyway, after Andrew dropped, people lost hope. Um, and any kind of hope for that brighter, brighter, better tomorrow that they wanted, where we could all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and isn't America great now. <laughs> um, once, once that vision was kind of off the table, people started looking for their camps again. There was one big one that said, you know, you're all welcome here. It doesn't matter, you know, where you came from. The thing that the most important thing about you is that you're a human being. And once that option was off the table, people immediately went back to their camps and people who were um, very openly like good friends with, you know, people who voted for Hillary Clinton were like best friends with people who voted for Donald Trump, which is a very weird thing. And they got along and it was like totally kind of normal because they had a, something bigger in mind. They had something better in mind that was like, okay, we're going to move beyond this. We're, we had a chance at transcendence, if you will. We were climbing that pyramid and then we just went right off. And now we're back at the bottom, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, but I, I did, I did notice this the de-radicalization that happened it, most notably with Trump supporters. Andrew Yang pulled a huge amount of support away from Donald Trump, and it wasn't with the promise of, I'm going to give you free money. It was by being a Democratic presidential candidate who wasn't demonizing them and calling them deplorable pieces of shit you know, uh, subhuman scum. And that kind of seems to be, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing the both sidesy thing here, but there does seem to be a lot of dehumanization in political, political, political rhetoric. It's, it's us versus them. And the humanity first movement was the first thing that a lot of us saw that, said, no, there is only one us. There is no them. Uh, and that's backwards think, you know, that's wrong think. Um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think you're right. Um, and I'm, I'm aware of the fact that some of the things that I'm saying kind of run counter to that long-term goal. And I, I agree that, that to actually de-radicalize, we do need to bring two people together. But I also think there is a place for, um, you know, <laughs> for moral outrage at things that are morally outrageous. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 and sometimes when people behave subhuman, uh, 
they're dehumanizing themselves, you know? Um, and I, 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 you know, I think there's a place for tough love as well as compassion. And I'm not claiming to be able to walk that tightrope perfectly by any means. I'm just trying to process this shit myself, dude. I'm just another human along for the ride on this rock. Exactly. (laughs) And, and expecting anything different from literally any other human on earth is dehumanizing. (laughs) You know, nobody, nobody's perfect. Literally. Well, I definitely don't think you should. I don't think you should ever hold other people to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Oh, um, absolutely. That's, that's for sure. Humans are but, awful you know, at that. Think, Humans are the worst at that. Can, can, I'm going to take a crack at why I think the de-radicalization didn't stick. Mm. And I think it actually is related to this resentment thing. Well, it stuck with a lot of people. Did it? Um, not everybody. Not everybody. But it, 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 it did. Well, Maybe no, I guess maybe those people weren't right. You know, I actually saw it work. I think you're right. I, it's the, um, Fred Fred Ramey, um, yeah. trucker for Yang. I mm-hmm. think he is a microcosm of that, and I, I think there are thousands, if not millions, of Freds out there. And that's a good thing. I agree with that. But you know, I mean, this is a this is a really really difficult task, and and um, in all fairness, it's one that Joe Biden is attempting in his own way. He's not talking about Trump voters in the dehumanizing manner that Hillary Clinton did, for example, right? Although admittedly, that was in a, what she thought was basically a private fundraising event. And, you know, that's the problem. Like by the time that you've been in politics, as long as her, you should know better that like nothing is private when you're that fucking famous. Somebody like there's, there are people serving your, your rich donors, those hors d'oeuvres, and some of them have cell phones and it's going to fucking get out. You know what I mean? Like, come on. But as I've said before, I'm not running for office, so I can say things that Hillary Clinton should not say, right? Um, okay, so here, here, here's my crack at why I think the de-radicalization didn't stick. And as, as I said, I, I do think it is related to this resentment thing. Um, I think that compassion is important, but I think you also need to, you also do need a little tough love along with that. I think that you need to show people a way out. You need to offer them a way out. You need to show them that when they when they leave the cult, that they will be welcomed back into society. I think that's important. But you also need to tell them that in order to do so, you got to leave the fucking cult, you know, like a little tough love. Like what you have been doing is not okay. This behavior is not acceptable. We know that this doesn't mean that you are subhuman, but like, you know, cut it out. And now then's the time for compassion. You see what I'm saying? Um, Right. I mean, like we didn't win world war two by hugging the Nazis. (laughs) Like some people just need to be defeated, you know, and if they won't, if they won't do the right thing, um, sometimes you got to force them to, because like this is, this is real life. This is the survival of democracy we're talking about here. This is, this is about whether or not our Republic lives for another generation. This is something that, uh, that our, our forebears died for. And I am not about to let them take it over because, you know, so anyway, de-radicalization didn't stick because the compassion part was there but you did not have the tough love part. I really think that's true. It's because there it's because it was built upon conditional unity, right? As opposed to unconditional unity. Conditional unity is, yeah, we're all Americans and we can we can unify if you give me what I want, right? But like that takes us back to the whole ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We have a responsibility as citizens toward this government toward this society of self-government, right? I'm not saying that we should cow before a dictatorship. I'm saying we have self-government and that we have a responsibility of citizens to preserve that, right? And if we are willing to back somebody who is attempting to destroy it, 
in order to get our way on some short-term policy issue, no matter what it is, UBI or the fucking wall, right? Or, you know, whatever it is the far left wants, seize the means of production and put all the landlords in a shallow grave, whatever it is, right? Then you're part of the problem. And yes, we will welcome you back into society. But first, you've got to get with the fucking program. Like, you have to be, your, 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 uh, your loyalty to this, this system of self-government should not be conditional upon you getting your way in politics. Because it's, it's in a democracy, nobody gets everything they want. That's just how it is. Because we don't all agree with each other. Because there is no obvious, simple answer to our problems. We have no choice but to compromise with one another. And the two sides refusing to do that and willing to cheat and destroy the system itself, burn it all to the ground in order to get their way, there needs to be some tough love about that. They need to understand that is not acceptable. That is anti-American. Cut it the fuck out, guys. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. And then when you apologize... Hallelujah. Welcome back. This is this is what made my personal humanity first mission slightly different because um and this is this is perhaps a good point to make the distinction between sympathy and and empathy. Um and you know Sam Harris has covered this whole, you know, arguing against empathy thing which which I do find kind of compelling. Um, I am I am a very empathic person and a, just a, a very emotional person in general. But uh, l- let me translate this into gay man, if you will, because I have had a lot of bridge burners in my life, um, and I still I keep an open door. Okay, you're welcome to come back over to my house. But you better be nice and you better be bringing me a bottle of wine, bitch. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yes, you get to participate. (laughs) Okay. But there is a tough love thing here that was miss that was missing from the humanity first movement, which is why mine. There's only so much Yang could do. I mean, I'm not, you know, this isn't about. This isn't about riding on Yang. I'm just saying he wasn't going to say humanity first or or fuck you because that (laughs) that's my policy. Humanity first or fuck you. Get out of my house. You can come back (laughs) later. I'll invite you back, but you better bring a nice bottle of wine and have something nice to say. Well, exactly. It it is. It is that entitlement and that resentment thing. Right. Because if your relationship with 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 society is transactional like that and not only transactional, but but one sided. Right. I'm not going to I'm not going to play nice unless I get everything I want. But I'm absolutely unwilling to give the other side anything. Right. That's what it is. It's one sided transactional relationship with civilization. And it is breeding resentment. It's born out of entitlement and it's deeply toxic and fucked up. And yes, we have to tell people to cut it out. Like, I mean, yes, I know. I mean, like part of me, part of me, part of me wants to keep lists. And like, I'm never going to hire anybody who voted for Donald Trump ever. Right. You know, the truth be told, like, that's not practical. It's not possible. I don't like I, I don't it's an anonymous vote. Who knows what you don't know what people did. Right. But what I what I but what I do think makes sense and is compatible with this combination of tough love and compassion is, you know, like as if they stop that toxic behavior, they stop the 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 resentment and the destru- the destructive behavior that it is manifesting itself and that's a threat a threat to civilization they just stop doing that you know then i wouldn't know i wouldn't know to cut them out right because now now they're they're welcome back in society because they actually are 
being civil. You know? Mm. I just kind of got... Just kind of reflecting on the fact that we're really talking about marriage counseling America at this point. The two deeply divided sides of this country that what we're actually kind of talking about is is something approaching marriage counseling, which is amusing. Well, I mean, but the marriage counseling Parallel. metaphor is a little scary, though, because like yeah. I said, I mean, a lot of psychiatrists will say that once resentment, once, yeah. it, once it rises to the level of resentment... You know, the advice is generally like get divorced. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, scary. this is a seriously this, the, but that is a, but that is a that, that that just goes to show you how deep this problem really is. Yeah. And all of the other stuff we're talking about, policy, economics, and all of that, none of that is going to solve the problem unless it gets rid of this resentment thing. And so, we're going to move on to the topic of whether or not you know giving people, you know, if somebody feels entitled to somebody else's stuff. <laughs> Is giving them that stuff going to fix that problem or is it going to make it worse? And I think it's going to make it worse. And so while I do support UBI um, and uh, public option and things like that as a compromise, it is not something I enthusiastically endorse because I do not actually believe that it is the solution. It's not the solution to this problem of entitlement and resentment. It isn't. It's, if anything, it'll make it, it'll make it worse. So we have to, we have, this is a cultural problem that we need to solve on a cultural level and the government can't can't force people to do that. That is something that we have to do. It's about the way we talk to one another. It's about the way we interact with one another. The problem starts and ends with us. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree there, which is why for me, this has never been about politics. It's been about the human thing. Um, I think that's where the answer lies is, is in just the way that we think about our neighbors and our own families now, because um, there seemed to be a big, a big spike in this, even especially after Trump officially lost or officially, unofficially, whatever lost, um, a huge spike in um, resentment in in family and friend groups to where it's like, okay. Now that we know for sure Donald Trump is leaving forever, if you ever supported him, you need you need out of my life. You're you're a subhuman monster. This is not about, you know, different views. If you know, it's about human rights violations and this and this. If you ever said anything nice about Donald Trump, if you ever supported him, if you continue to support him, you are not you know, basically going straight back to the dehumanization rhetoric, you're not worth kindness or empathy or compassion or understanding or even a chance to, you know, explain where you're actually at or why you were compelled to vote or support, you know, one way or the other. Um, huge amount of resentment among, you know, on what we'll colloquially call the left and amongst Democrats um, in general towards um, in, in their own lives in their personal groups, their personal friends and family groups. There is no excuse for ever having supported that man. Get out of my life, get off my friends list, you know? And that's not something that I see from even the most diehard Trump supporting friends that I have had because yes, I do have those. 
I do have friends who support Donald Trump, guys. I'm not going to, like, cut somebody out, excise them like a tumor from my life because they think different things or feel a different way or just live on a different part of Earth. I mean, traveling around the United States is like getting in a goddamn time machine, going through the freaking TARDIS, popping out into different dimensions. It is very different um, to go, you know, even from, you know, rich, bougie San Diego and then like, yeah, drive a couple hours out to like Yuma. a different world out here yeah and then you'll start <laughs> seeing the trump signs <laughs> yeah yeah oh they're like when, I, when I was in the hoya i didn't see a single donald trump sign i saw multiple republicans for biden signs i mean this is a affluent area where people like low taxes but they also are educated enough um to know that donald trump is deeply unfit to be president of the united states and is an existential threat to our liberty and to the country itself um yeah i, I hear what you're saying jenner and I, and i really appreciate I, I genuinely do appreciate that you're taking me back to the compassion thing because mm. you know uh good cop bad cop i guess like you're a good cop i'm bad cop like oh, no, we, it, does, cop. it does require sure it does require both compassion and tough love um, and so I do appreciate that you're bringing back the compassion thing, but I do think the tough love part matters too. And I know you agree with that, but I'm just saying like, you Absolutely. know, part of tough love is, you know, making sure people actually face the consequences sometimes, right? Like you, you, yep. it's not, it's about not like tough love means you don't always bail them out. At some point you have to let them learn from their own mistakes. And I don't, I don't think that, um, first of all, I don't think that it's possible that everybody is going to cut every Trump supporter out of their life. Like I said, practically it's impossible to do. You don't know how people voted. Right. Um, and I think that like, I think that actually something that's useful here is the distinction between shame and guilt. People have been talking about a lot. And I think that's relevant to the resentment thing. Right. I think that when people feel shame, um, that's very toxic and bad because shame means like, not just I did something bad, but I'm a bad person, right? Yes. And then and then you start to identify yourself as a bad person, and then that breeds resentment, um, right? Because now you feel it's not not just guilty about doing something wrong, but now you feel like you are unworthy, um, and and therefore, you know, that leads to the sort of toxic behavior where people are uh, self destructive, but also destructive of people around them, and in this case, it's manifesting in destruction towards civilization, right? So shame is not good. I don't think that we should. Um, encourage shame. But I do think that the the the, the way to, to thread the needle between tough love and compassion is through guilt. I think that it is appropriate for us to make people feel guilty about having supported him, right? And and about having having been part of the far left movement, which we're about to move on to, which is equally bad. The only difference yeah. is like we don't have anybody like that in the White House right now. <laughs> you know? I think that's like, a that's a really important line to draw between shame which equals i am wrong and guilt which is i did something wrong yeah because the latter gives you the way out the latter gives you an ability to absolve yourself the latter gives you an ability to Mm -hmm. like um and not in the weird religious way but like in the actually good practical way right if you feel guilty about something you can apologize for it you can make up for it there are things you can do to salvage the relationship in, in in this metaphor of you know the marriage of america Yes, very. I'm really, really, really glad that you brought up shame and guilt because that is a really important part of this resentment conversation. Because um, shame is an awful, awful <laughs> feeling and breeds all kinds of toxic behaviors. Um, 
but guilt, I think, is ultimately helpful. And it's also, I mean, it's, 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 it's not, it's, it's actually not that dehumanizing. If in fact, feeling guilty is just part of being human. I mean, who hasn't, who everybody's done something that they should feel guilty about, right? Nobody's perfect. Right. Absolutely. You know, and of course now we're talking about, we're talking about, um, what de-radicalization works, right? So like, I think, I think that maybe compromising on issues like UBI and a public option for Medicare and all of that is part of the equation. Maybe that's the compassion part of the equation, right? The tough love part of the equation is what was missing. And it's why the de-radicalization didn't stick for a lot of people, in my opinion, right? Because it, because then if it, because it was conditional for them, it was conditional on them getting their way on policy. And so what it needs to be is like, we, we need to try to do these things. Um, we need to work together to do these things, but truth be told, we can't put the cart before the horse. We're not going to be able to do it while the country is still divided due to all of this resentment. If the healing, the cult at the cultural level is going to have to come first, I think. I absolutely agree there. And I, I think some of the, like it just touching back on shame real quick, shaming other people is not going to make them feel guilt. <laughs> okay. Um, it's gonna make them feel shame and resentment. If, if right, right, your right. Whereas, whereas moves, like you know, you're better than this. You're better than this. Yeah. Is, is 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 that kind of talk? There should that be kind of, that could lead to guilt. But a, like you're just you're a bad person, love. right? Well, and that's part of the reason. And now we we are we're get, we're gonna transition into um and into the far left now a bit. But that's part of the reason why this this new identity politics approach to subjects like race and sex and sexuality is so toxic, right? Because the narrative isn't about, you know, you should feel guilty about, about being racist. It's about, you are born racist and you will die racist. And there's nothing mm-hmm. you can do about because it. Because of just the a, color of your you should skin. Be, you should be I'm ashamed to be white. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that, and that, that is that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. a lot of Trump voters were reacting against, understandably. Yes. Oh gosh. So we, we really want to, we, we want to shift to the, to the far left is that I guess God, I go I go down so, so many rabbit holes here, but I guess I guess shoot. <laughs> well, okay. Where, I mean so do we do, keeping touch? trying to keep the conversation um symmetrical and we're talking about how resentment is 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 the core of the problem on the far left and the alt-right, and yes. that it manifests itself in a lot of the same kinds of toxic behaviors, right? Um, and one of them is, as we said, is, is, is having a backward worldview is taking a term or an idea and making it mean the opposite. Right. Um, we talked about multiple ways that that happens on the alt-right and now on the, on the far left. Well, okay, here's one racism. (laughs) I know you have a good handle on this, Jenner. How have they, how have they have reversed the meaning of that word? Well, the far left, the way that they look at quote, race relation problems is to further put people into tinier and tinier and tinier boxes, which is divisive just from like a base basic arithmetic arithmetic level. Jesus, Jenner. Um, dividing people into smaller and smaller groups. Um, isn't really that are like based on superficial characteristics, like immutable characteristics that people have no control over uh, is immensely backwards. And you, you see these movements which purport 
to want to address the inequalities, you know, in our society, especially along, um, you know, race and gender lines. But the answer is actually kind of backwards because what they're putting forth is actually just further division and reinforcement of backwards ideas like for example that people are different races i always always have to come back here race isn't real you guys race is not real it's made up it's imaginary this dumb backwards medieval way of thinking about other human beings and if we want to make any progress on that conversation at all we need to start there first because if you're like oh us us this color people and those other color people this is making racism so bad i'm like no actually you are manufacturing racism by doing that us them black white bullshit this is what i have almost no tolerance for now with the left because it has gotten so bad to where it's like no you can't even have an opinion about this unless you check all these boxes you know like uh i'm I'm not going to give an example but you you get what i'm saying you know like as a cisgendered white man i'm not allowed to speak about a growing number of things and the fact that i'm gay earned me earns me no points with the left now that they, they have don't care doesn't matter it well, actually it also makes you transphobic now. yes it also <laughs> makes you too because exactly it also makes me transphobic because if my version of being a homosexual man means i'm interested in other homosexual men um biological i hate that we have to fucking clarify that now you will never find my pronouns on my Twitter, not that I use Twitter, but I'm not clarifying that, okay? This is another thing about the changing the language game. They like to change the language of what it means to be a gay man to where a 16-year-old um, trans-identified biological girl can identify as daddy, and all of Twitter is like, oh, good for you, sir. I'm like, uh, well, okay, you guys are clearly not thinking this through. Too many language games. You're fucking shit up. And it's the smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller boxes that do this. And that is, I think, the fundamental thing that I reject about what is happening on the left, far left, is this putting people into boxes. It's putting people into camps. It's backwards and dangerous. Yeah, I think think you put it pretty well. It is the definition of racism to judge people by their skin color. But that's exactly exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. And And it happens because they're talking about systemic, systemic racism, right? So individual prejudice is not real racism anymore right so if you're if you're a a white person who calls black people the n-word and thinks black people are inferior i guess that's not racism right unless it manifests itself in the system somehow and then it's racism i mean it sounds absurd but like when you just take these ideas and just say them out loud you can kind of see how freaking crazy that is um (laughs) right you know meanwhile Uh, there is actually like i mean there is actually but but the people who are fighting for more systemic racism are those very people because they want the system to treat people differently based on their race yeah try saying it out loud is i think a great a great mantra here 
Okay, try try saying it out loud and try simplifying it. And if you're using if you're using some kind of identifier like white or black, spin the color wheel to literally any other color and see how that sentence sounds. <laughs> um just try actually saying what you mean out loud and you'll hear how fucking absurd it is, you know. Redefining words so that everything is about systems, um, and and yeah. along those same lines, on um, more detailed level, it's about equity, right? So it's about the idea that you should have equal outcomes in society as opposed to equal opportunity. Equal opportunity is a good, noble goal that's compatible with liberalism. We should all work toward that. We'll never be able to achieve it fully because in real life, everything's not always going to be perfectly fair and equal. Sorry guys. Right. But so, so, you know, we can try to make it more. So that's a good noble goal compatible with liberalism, but the exact opposite of that is equal outcome because equal outcome means that you have to intervene in order to give some people an advantage over other people. And the government plays favorites and decides who to do that with. Right. (laughs) And they do it. If you're doing it on the basis of race or sex or sexuality, then that makes you racist and sexist and, I don't know, heterophobic or cisphobic or whatever, right? Like, I mean, th- this is so, so that's a good example of, of the far left reversing the meaning of words and having a backward worldview. There's another one I'm going to come at here. Um, and, and I guess as someone on the economic right, it's easier for me to see this one, but they're redefining the word theft to mean it's opposite also. Yes. <laughs> I know I talked to you about that off air. Um, do you, do, do you want to riff on that? Give me your thoughts on that before I elaborate or, or you want me to go first? Uh, I, I will let you take, I will, I will let okay. you roll with that one. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of far right people, um, get made fun of, I think rightly so for saying taxes are theft, right? Like it is a bit of an exaggeration. I mean, we do need to have a government and unless you're a total anarchist, um, right. you have to have a government and somebody has to pay some taxes. So I think going to the extreme of all taxes are theft is a bit, a bit much, right? But the far left has an even more ridiculous and even more morally repugnant way of looking at that. I mean, because at least taxes are theft is at least kind of understandable. I mean, my position is like taxes are a necessary evil, right? Yeah. And um, I, I think that I think that we consent to them as a society through through democratic government, yeah, right? Through we can have roads and hospitals. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Like we consent know, to it to some degree. So and, we're not and a lot living of, and in I, fucking. But dirt. I also don't. I also don't think that it's morally outrageous for people who disagree with the level of taxation or the way the money is being spent to be uh, to you know to disagree with that. I mean, I, that's fine. I think that now. The, what the left is doing with that word is actually truly despicable because what they're doing is it's this, they just, they're saying things like rent is theft, right? Or profit is theft, right? Cause like, so, so the people who want to, the people who want to um, decommodify housing, right? They say rent is theft because basically you're just, um, you're just stealing the, the wages of your tenants, right? <laughs> is what it's coming from. And I usually say, wait a minute, by that logic, isn't literally selling anything to anybody theft, right? Because you also need clothing. You also need food. You also need heat. And some of those people will say, oh no, that's, you know, th- that's just a slippery slope fallacy. And I'm like, no, I think it's actually kind of implied by your argument. Yeah. And then people to the left of those people will say, yeah, absolutely. Decommodify everything. Profit <laughs> is theft. Profit is theft. Right. Okay. Now, why do I say that that's immoral and backwards? Because theft, by definition, is when you covet somebody else's thing and you take it by force. Right. Through the democratic process, we do that with taxes. It kind of applies, but it's also a necessary evil. 
you know, so that, that is what it is. I am on the record saying I think it's absurd to say taxes are theft. I say they're a necessary evil. Much more nuance there, right? But it's like at least kind of adjacent to theft. You can kind of see where they're coming from. But this idea that have owning your own thing and then selling it to someone else who voluntarily wants to buy it from you, right? Or renting it to them, right? Or whatever it is, selling them a service, selling them electricity or whatever. The idea that that is theft, that is so backwards. They have, they have reversed the word theft so that it no longer means taking something from someone else. And instead, it just means voluntarily selling something that you own or renting something that you own or selling a service that you have to another person through the market. That is not theft. That is the opposite of theft. It, <laughs> Can you tell I'm getting worked bonkers. up here? To, yeah. It's so crazy. Right. So so now so now they 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 want they they it's not enough, you know, okay, so taxes aren't theft. We've we've said that. But you know what is theft? Taking people's property away from them, taking saying you're not allowed to own a rental house, you know, or an apartment. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to do that, right? Going in and seizing that property and taking it from them, taking something from one person and giving it to another person, not not just like we're all paying taxes as citizens, right? But like taking it from them, that is that is that is theft. Ooh, that really is theft. theft. <laughs> yes, exactly. <sighs> Profit is not theft. Profit is what happens when people voluntarily trade with each other in a free society. Okay, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh God, this is, this is real. This is, I really think fundamentally the thing that we need to do is go schoolhouse rock on these motherfuckers. Let's go like magic school bus on these motherfuckers. (laughs) We need to take people back to kindergarten on so many basic things and explain shit in a way that any five-year-old will understand. Um, Because I feel like we get lost in in these convoluted complex conversations about you know economic policies and in philosophies and cultural paradigms and things i feel like i feel like we're we're act we actually might be overcomplicating this when the thing that we actually need to do is dumb this down <laughs> like a lot to like elementary school level and i think this is and make that viral fuck um I, <laughs> because so yeah, it, much of this is so simple it's just people aren't willing to expend the bandwidth of their brains to you know even learn what a word like intersectionality is even supposed to mean <laughs> you uh, know? i mean i i think that i think that part of the problem is that they they have a we're dealing with people with one or another kind of postmodern epistemology is what's going on right so like mm, it's not it's not about there. it's not about what's actually true it's about what's emotionally appealing right mm. um and 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 actually, um, Shelby Steele uses a term. He's Shelby Steele is a, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution in, at Stanford, um, and he uses a term. He calls it poetic truth. Poetic truth. Poetic truth is is what you arrive at when you believe it, not because there's evidence for it or it's logical or whatever, right? But because it has an em- emotional appealing to you. It helps to define yourself and society in a way that makes you feel good about yourself. Right. Um, and of course that can, 
that can manifest itself in all kinds of fucked up ways where like maybe it makes you feel good about yourself to blame other people for your problems, but it also leads to resentment, which also leads to self-loathing. Um, you know, human brains are complicated. But for whatever reason, the point being, there's an emotional appeal to that truth, right? That's the poetic truth. And, and, and so the reason that the alt-right and the far left fueled by resentment all have these backward worldviews that make words mean the opposite of what they actually mean is because they aren't living in real life. They aren't looking at the real truth. They're looking at the world through the, the lens of poetic truth about what makes them, it's about whatever has an emotional appeal to them for one reason or another. And it should be easy to see why when you're filled with resentment, narratives about how, you know, um, elites are to blame for all of your problems are going to have an emotional appeal. And that's manifesting itself in all of those deeply irrational backwards examples that we just gave. Yeah. I was really, really tempted to go somewhere. Uh, I'm not going to. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it was like, within, like, like well, the all right, on the all right, they literally use the term alternative facts, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Alternative facts, that's a perfect example of the fact that you're dealing with poetic truth, right? Not normal facts, but these are like the facts that have been filtered through my, you know, through my poetic truth. That's what it means. Um, and and on and on the uh, on the far left, the term that they use is lived experiences or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's just another way of saying the same thing. It's like this is this is the epistemology that we're going to use. What's true isn't what is actually measurable and verifiable in an objective reality. What's true is what has an emotional appeal to me, given my, my worldview informed by resentment. Yeah. D disconnection from objective reality, I think is, is one of the key nails to hit on the head there because people kind of like to play around and <laughs> which is what feels good uh, today. You know, people don't like doing homework. <laughs> we have a bunch of grown up kids, you know, running it's around the emotional out there in the world. You know, it it's... really, like, as there was a time when I used to think it was just because these people are all stupid. Um, and I think that that is an overly simplistic reason, right? Mm. Of course, yeah, you know, it does take a certain level of intelligence in order to be able to process all of the data and have an objective understanding of reality. And of course, nobody can have a perfect understanding of objective reality, right? There's That's a whole deeper philosophical conversation. Read A.C. Grayling's amazing just, book, Skepticism and the Possibility yeah. of Knowledge, if you want to understand how you can be a skeptic um, about knowledge and also recognize the practical utility of rationality. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want people to think that I'm saying something overly simplistic here, but, but, you know, regardless of our relationship to reality, there is a reality and what's true isn't just what is emotionally appealing. Right. It's that, right. It, it, that is, that is the problem. That is how this is manifesting itself. All right. So now on the, um, on the specifics of why UBI and public option are a compromise for me, as opposed to something I'm enthusiastically endorsing. It really does come down to this problem, which is that I truly think that UBI and public option and those sorts of things, they are a policy manifestation of the compassion side of the ingredient, but they won't solve the problem without the tough love side of the ingredient. And it's easy to see how without the tough love part of it, however, however that manifests itself, without the tough love part of it, taking a group of people who feel resentment and entitlement to other people's things and then rewarding them for that by taking things from them and giving them to them... <laughs> It's going to perpetuate and um, it's, it's going to it's going to like 
it's going to take that resentment and ratchet it up to a higher level. It's going to increase the level of resentment and entitlement. It's just like when you have a, you know, a, a spoiled kid who keeps coming back to mom and dad for more money, always promises to repay it, and then never actually does. At some point, mom and dad need to show a little tough love and say, hey, you know, we're here for you, but you've got to also like show a little responsibility at some point. Like this yeah. cycle can't go on forever. That ends the cycle of entitlement and resentment. That's what we need. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that we should so. that we should not do UBI. I'm not saying that we should not do a public option. What I am saying is that those will alone will only make the problem worse. We have to have some other thing, some other thing that's part of this this cocktail of society where we maintain some sense of personal responsibility. Um, and where where people feel not shame but guilt, guilt yes. for their own failures, right? Um, which include things like you know supporting anti-American ideologies that are a threat to the republic. Like you know, yes, compassion is good, compromise is good. the The fact that the sides, the radicals, won't compromise with each other is part of the problem. So I'm pro compromise, but I'm just saying like I don't I don't buy this idea that just giving these people what they're demanding, basically rewarding them for this toxic behavior is going to solve the problem by itself. We need to have that. We need to be aware of this tough love approach at the same time. I, I agree. I think we should stick with, you know, Andrew's position against means testing. It makes much more sense to provide incentives within the system rather than obstacles. The means testing that we have now for the for the systems that are currently in place are appalling. I mean, in in some cases, we need to not provide obstructions, but we need to provide incentives, incentives to do the right thing. And this is kind of going back into. Uh, you know, guilt, for example, to where if you every, everybody gets the UBI, but if you make over a certain amount and you collect that money anyway, people are kind of going to think you're a douchebag if you don't use that for some kind of altruistic thing. There should be something in place for like, yeah, well, I, obviously, I don't need a UBI. There are people who need it more, so let me redirect mine um, through some kind of effect, effective altruistic means that benefits the whole. And you know, I think I, I think that that would put the push the guilt buttons of like you know six seven figure celebrities who are like, well, yeah, I don't need it. Um, I feel like that that's an example of what I, what I mean by not just literal top-down incentives, but almost kind of cultural bottom-up incentives to do the right thing. We need to incentivize people to do the right thing because the culture and the society that we, we, we live in now incentivizes all the worst behaviors. It incentivizes exploitation and on some level cruelty. But, um, yeah, just that 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 was I felt an important flag is that, yes, um, should come with tough love. I think we should still fundamentally reject means testing, uh, at least in the way that it's been applied, um, you know, in recent history. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that on the policy level, um, we can break down why that is threading compassion and tough love in a way that our current means tested tax and spend anti state does not. And that's part of the reason why I do support it as a compromise, because it's a it's I see it as better than the status quo. It's a, it's mm-hmm. moving us um, more in the in the, the direction that we, I think we need to go in order to thread that needle between compassion and um, and tough love. Um, I also I just I, I think that that um, a lot of people on the left are trying to ruin those policies, right? So they're they're trying to they're trying to make it so that it's not a public option; it's single payer. Or they're trying to make it so that UBI is means tested and it does stack on welfare, and that it is funded via an income tax as opposed to a VAT. If we let them do any of those things, then it's all compassion with no tough love, and it won't fix the problem; it'll make it worse, right? Um, but I, in addition to a UBI, which does thread the needle there nicely on the policy level, I think there's also a cultural on the cultural level, we need to thread the needle between compassion and tough love as well as, as the main subject that we've been talking about so far, but let me break it down. So, you know, Yang does talk about, uh, um, a scarcity mentality, right. And as opposed to an abundance mentality, and he's, he's got this right. Uh, um, a, a scarcity mentality does breed resentment. It really does, because some people have more than other people. That's always going to be true. But if some of those people have very, very, very little or not enough, they're really going to be resentful, right? So I think that there is a, th- that's why the compassion part of the ingredient is just as important as the, as the tough love part, right? So we do need to move people past a, a, a mentality of scarcity and toward a mentality of abundance. He's got that right. Um, but you know what? You know what? The, that scarcity mentality that the, and the resentment that it fosters that manifests itself in wanting the means test, right? Because if you're resentful and you have a scarcity mindset, then you want to, you don't want anybody to get that, get that UBI. If they're all, if they already have too much because you resent them, you want to take stuff from them. You don't want to give them stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You're resentful. Um, that manifests in means testing. It also manifests in, in stacking on welfare, right? Because that once again, the idea is, you want to have you, you want some people, you want the government to give some people more than other people. You want a equality of outcomes, you want to play favorites and all of that stuff, right? But of course, the problem with stacking it on welfare is that it just creates another welfare trap. So now it's just a higher welfare trap, but they're still disincentivized to work or open a business or whatever, because if they do that, they lose the welfare, right? So the point of not allowing it to stack on welfare is that the UBI replaces welfare. In fact, the yes. goal is to is to phase out welfare, right? And it really is. Um, that's part of the reason the left calls it a Trojan horse for for libertarianism or some such bullshit. But like when people are entitled to and dependent upon and resentful of you know other people's money for their for their well being, it's it's toxic. It is a disincentive for personal responsibility and taking care of yourself. It's true. It's just true. So don't stack it on welfare because once again, that's all compassion with no tough love. Then there's the um, funding it via income taxes part, right? Well, there's a reason that Yang's freedom dividend is funded by a value-added tax, not by hiking taxes on, on the middle production, class. On new production, on new wealth that's created, which is very different from saying, we're going to take this thing. <laughs> we're just going to take your money and give it to them. This is very, very different. Andrew Yang's plan was like, no, new doll because new billions of dollars are created trillions of dollars are created new well, va- yeah value is created value is created value, and, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and and so and ta- taxing 
taxing um, productivity and taxing taxing value is actually um, a better way of controlling inflation too, as opposed to yes. um, you know just just printing money out of thin air for for endless compassion minus. Um, Minus the tough love. Yeah, or, exactly. Frankly, well, and, and, dragging you know, Jeff Bezos to the fucking guillotine <laughs> and just confiscating oh all of his you know money what, like, and giving it to poor people. Amazon, you know? Amazon paid zero dollars in taxes. Okay. A value added tax would take not 10% of profit because they can get around that by just not making any profit, right? Value added tax would take 10% of the gross product of Amazon, right? It would take 10% of the gross product of Facebook. And so like whenever Facebook feeds you an ad, it doesn't cost you anything, but it's generating money for somebody else. It's generating the money for Facebook, right? And it's generating money, therefore, through the VAT for our UBI, right? And so um, a value added tax, part of the reason it makes more sense is related to what you said a second ago. You said like people who don't need the UBI. Keep in mind. People who who make a lot of money already pay a hell of a lot more than a thousand dollars a month in taxes. Yeah. Right. So honestly, I don't expect them to donate it because first of all, they're just getting a tiny little bit of their own money back, right? Which is like, if again, if you're in a scarcity mindset filled with resentment, that pisses you off, right? Because it's all about hating rich people instead of helping poor people, right? Um, but if you're not in the scarcity mindset you're in the abundance mindset, then what the hell is the problem with letting somebody keep a little bit more of their own money? I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Also, secondly, a hell of a lot of rich people, especially like those evil Hollywood actors you brought up, a whole lot of those rich people are already doing a ton of philanthropic work anyway, right? Oh, the government tons. doesn't yeah. need to force them to do it. They're already doing it, frankly. Um, like Bill and Melinda Gates can keep their $1,000 UBI. Take yourselves out to dinner, honestly. It's such a tiny amount of money that they, like, they wouldn't yeah. even think about it. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, don't even notice it. Yeah, it's um, like it's not a it, it, the, fact that people, the, pe- the fact that people lose that. sleep over the fact that Bill and Melinda Gates might get two thousand dollars a month from a UBI is oh just God. a symptom <laughs> of their own derangement. Frankly. Yeah, because Bill that and Melinda Gates deranged. don't want it. They don't care about it. They're not thinking about it. It's not about them. It's not about them. It's about this policy that balances compassion and tough love. All right. So now we've talked about why means testing, stacking on welfare and funding it via income taxes. Oh, well, actually I didn't quite finish that. But yes, if you if you if you hike taxes on the middle class to pay for this, then there's no benefit to the middle class, right? That's only going to continue to create a um a, a class resentment. warfare between the poor yeah. and the, and the middle, right? Which is not good. That's that's just going to breed more resentment. Um it makes it harder to pass it and it is again, it's the it's the like if if you're a person who thinks that wealth is a bad thing, right? then you're going to like that means testing, stacking it on welfare and funding it via income taxes because passive income is a bourgeois vice, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Right. On the other hand, if you're a person who has an abundance mindset and isn't filled with resentment, right. Um, then you think allowing the middle class to keep a little bit more of their own money or get a little bit of their money back. We're not talking about rich people here. We're talking about the freaking middle class, man. Right. Um, you know, who pays the VAT actually rich people, a huge corporations, because unless you make enough money to spend 10 times the UBI, you're not going to pay more than that in VAT, right? Yeah. So we're talking about, we're talking, if you're the sort of person who doesn't just make, but spends $10,000 every month, month on luxury right? goods. And, and if you're a couple, you guys together spend $20,000 every month. You're not saving a penny of it. You're not investing it. You're spending it all, right? We're, we're not talking about the middle class there. We're talking about truly wealthy people who can afford yeah. to pay it, right? 
But yeah. like hiking income taxes, we've we've shown over and over and over again because of the way that our screwed up tax system works, where Donald Trump pays less in taxes than I do, right? Hiking income taxes it winds up taxing the middle more than the rich in terms of a percent of their income. Just don't do it. Just yeah. don't do it. Let I'm them keep totally a little more of their own money. Wealth is the solution to poverty. Of, of yeah. Income taxes. Get rid of it. Why Wealth is the solution to poverty, income? not the cause of it. Right. Let them keep their money and invest it and save it and, you Thank know, you. leave yeah. it to their children. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. We want more people helping their kids have a leg up. We want to incentivize people to be responsible parents. OK. Yes. Incentives. People, it's all about the incentives. And that's not just top down. Those are bottom up incentives. We need cultural incentives on some level, too. You know, and uh, this is. You know, kind of how I've I, I've continued the, my humanity first thing. I still live as often as possible, um, implementing as much effective altruism as I possibly can to prove that, like, you know, yeah, well, shit, if I can do it, you know, uh, anyone can do it, and that's that's not even just about you know financial investment. That's investment investment of time and energy and thought and compassion it's it's having a two-hour conversation with somebody on a podcast and sharing that conversation with the world um there are lots of different ways to contribute to try and shift things in the right direction that don't involve congress or some fancy pen we doesn't never has to see the president's desk. A lot of the changes that we want to see in this country can be made simply by making them honestly viral. Just making them the just like trendiest ideas. <laughs> um, so we're we are operating quite a bit in the meme sphere, you know, uh, in in trying to ultimately in trying to move forward um most of the work has to be done by us in this sphere that doesn't involve government or policy or any of that shit most of the the hard work is being done right here on the moving forward podcast and on mindwave and on fred's front porch and on hard truth and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, you said it perfectly. Um, mm, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, people like to point out that when they have, when, when they're, when, and this is true, there is actual evidence that when people are, are not worried about paying their bills, um, that their IQ goes up by a standard deviation. That's oh, a I good can't thing. wait for that. That That's is a good awesome. thing. That is a good thing for society, especially for a democracy that more people are capable of rational thought. right? That is a good thing. Thing, right however that alone won't fix it that then you know you if they still have this evil un-american mentality of resentment that manifests itself on the far left and the alt-right then you're just dealing with smarter evil people <laughs> okay <laughs> then this is why the tough love approach is just as important as the compassion part and i think we did a really good job breaking down the difference policy-wise between you know Yang's um, freedom dividend and our existing tax and spend nanny state, and how 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 the freedom dividend actually does like um, thread the needle between compassion and tough love in a much better way. Uh, another way of looking at that is is what, what he calls it human capitalism. He calls it capitalism yeah. that doesn't start at zero. It's not a safety net. 
Okay. A safety net is like uh, unemployment insurance or whatever. It's something that you have when you lose something, right? <laughs> Which is dog it's shit. Better than that. It's, 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 a, it's better than that. It is a tool that incentivizes and empowers personal growth, right? It's capitalism that doesn't start at zero. It's capitalism. It's still rewarding people for taking that and building on it and doing more with it. It's not punishing them for succeeding. It's helping them succeed. The mm. difference couldn't be more stark um, on the policy front. But as you said, Jenner, I completely agree with you. It actually also requires this cultural conversation. I mean, if for no other reason, unless people are sold on the point that you and I have been making through this podcast about how resentment is bad for society and about how, um, you know, the scarcity mindset and um, and its manifestation and far left and um, I mean, I'm sorry, like I, I'm, I'm sure Chet would disagree with me on this. Chet's another uh another recurring guest star on the podcast who calls himself an anarcho-communist. I'm sure that he would disagree with this point, but I just really thoroughly believe this. I think that if you are any kind of communist, then you still have a lot of growth to do in terms of getting over this resentment and scarcity thinking. Um, there's no need uh, to, to if, if, you know, if you, if you, if, if just giving people a floor and helping people succeed and, and threading the needle between compassion and tough love isn't enough. Um, if you want to give everybody everything, um, and, and by taking it away from other people, if it's about, you know, like, oh, we need to decommodify housing and steal houses from people, have the government doing all that shit. Um, that is, you, you still got a little growth to do now in all fairness, I understand that Chet, um, doesn't want to do it through an authoritarian means. Um, and I'm still not persuaded that anarcho-communism isn't some kind of oxymoron, even though I conceptually understand it. It seems, seems it seems like the sort of thing that makes sense theoretically, but in practice, um, on the police. I've got some, pro I've got some, I've got some, uh, some processing to do in order to further understand his perspective. So mm -hmm. I don't want to just shit on him, but I'm just saying like, yeah. generally speaking, you know, like that way of thinking where it's about like, there's not enough. We have to make sure, or maybe you think there's just barely enough. We can meet everybody's basic needs. No, that's not what this is about. You still want to, in, you want to incentivize people to build and improve their own lives. And that is not being done through any form of communism. It's being done through capitalism. It's being done through human capitalism. It's being done through capitalism that doesn't start at zero. And, and actually, you know, the other altruism, which people can do more if they don't start at zero. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing too, is it's not, not only is it not a safety net and you know, I said, it's a floor, not a safety net, but it's actually better than that. It's a floor with a ladder, you know? The UBI is your ladder. The point is, unlike unlike means tested, uh, means tested welfare that you lose when you succeed, UBI you keep and it stacks on top of your actual earned labor, your actual earned income. I mean, right? Mm. That's a ladder. That makes it a ladder. You have extra money to invest. You have extra money. You know, can invest it in a business. You have extra money you can save. You have a way up, right? Yeah. Not 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 something that's it's keeping not, you down. Uh, that's keeping you permanently as an underclass where you're 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 um you know, just a leech on society. It's, it's giving you a leg up. It's, it's a floor with a ladder and we should want that. that, that everybody should be productive because as you said, Jenner, when we're productive, it actually creates more wealth in society. And, um, as opposed to just printing more money without additional value, which, which leads to inflation. All right. Bye guys. Cheers. <laughs>
point is to do it anyway. To keep the conversation moving however we can. Learn more and support the show at movingforwardpod.com.